Hello there, how are you? Thank you for hitting on the button and joining me on Sport and Life, a podcast here in the UK. I'm Ed Draper, broadcaster in the UK, and um, thank you for the sponsors as well. First and foremost, Bang & Olufsen of Cheltenham, supporting the podcast, and uh, Bang & Olufsen's sister company uh, in the courtyard in Montpellier in Cheltenham, Serene AV, specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high-quality customer service and installations. Get in touch with Jason Briggs and his team through social media, Bang & Olufsen of Cheltenham, uh, Instagram, Twitter. I've seen the guys on all the latest equipment, and Serene AV also offers a bespoke service, not just uh, utilizing their Bang & Olufsen stores, but other top-notch equipment, whatever fits your budget, whatever fits your dream of what you want in your home in terms of home entertainment, audio systems, that kind of stuff. Uh, contact Jason Briggs and his team. Thank you to Cytoplan, the supplement company, for supporting the pod, uh, podcast as well. My father, Dr. Mark Draper, who's had a few conversations with me over the summer, which you can look back on previous episodes of the podcast, talking about immunity, particularly in relation to coronavirus and trying to boost our, optimize our immune systems at this time when they're potentially under fire from the virus that swept across the world. He uh, is a big advocate of Cytoplan, helps work as a consultant for them, helped design supplements, is working on a one-stop shop multivitamin at the moment to include this sort of much-needed vitamin D as well, which is a big talking point at the moment around coronavirus, lots of interesting research. I retweeted something from Cytoplan, actually, about that on my Twitter account, EdDraper81, a couple of days ago. So probably Wednesday, the uh, would be 8th of July, if you check that out, if you want to look at that article. Uh, but supplements-wise, at Cytoplan, I take Immunovite currently, I-M-M-U-N-O-V-Y-T-E, selenium, zinc, and vitamin C, among other things in there. And then a foundation formula, I take foundation formula 2, like a multivitamin for men, for younger women who are menstruating. It's... Uh, Obviously, I'm a man, but younger women, uh, young women, I should say, uh, who are menstruating should take uh, Foundation Formula One because it contains iron. And, and for us blokes, generally, by and large, our diets, particularly if we eat red meat, have enough iron in. Uh, so that's uh, cytoplan.co.uk. If you head there, go to uh, or use the discount code DRAPER10, my last name, all capital letters, D-R-A-P-E-R, the number 1010, and you get 10% off. I hope you do that. I know a lot of people have as well and appreciate you uh, doing that. I hope... You know, the positive messages start to resonate, not only through this podcast and other, other platforms, but about health. And this is a catalyst around looking after ourselves. And we start to turn the tide as a, a kind of um, human beings, as a, as a species in the West, particularly against sort of lifestyle conditions like type 2 diabetes and obesity, which coronavirus has really kind of attacked in uh, lots of ways, any underlying conditions. So hopefully this will be a catalyst for good health and helping other causes like heart disease and other aspects of health and mental health as well, because exercise and diet can definitely affect that. I think we all agree with that. Great podcast coming up today, really illuminating one with Leanne Sanderson. I should say former England footballer, but I'm reluctant to say so because she's in her early 30s still, had a year off football, but very much still could be in her prime. So she may well come back to the fold and hope she does. Uh, but working as an analyst alongside me at Sky Sports, former England footballer, played a lot for Arsenal coming through, made a debut we'll here about 14 and uh, played for Chelsea as well, played for Juventus in Italy most recently. She's played in Cyprus. She's played all over the United States of America, played in Spain for Espanyol, Barcelona's big rivals. So really well-traveled, engaging personality, comes from a dual heritage background, black father, white mum. She's been involved in the Black Lives Matter stuff, really personal to her because of things she witnessed as a kid around her dad's treatment in society. And to this day, how she's been affected in terms of traveling and, and what happens to her around stop and search and things, which is incredible at airports um, and shocking, really, as a white person. And I think as someone who's had good meaning, good intentions, like myself, who's grew up, grown up as well in a relatively diverse um, community in the, in the Caribbean and elsewhere, uh, shocking that I didn't know a lot of this stuff was still going on. And, you know, we, we go towards this quest towards equality where we treat people on their merits. It was really good to get her thoughts. She's also the first openly gay England footballer for men or women, I would imagine, uh, particularly for men. That's obviously still a taboo subject, unfortunately, homosexuality. Troy Deeney spoke about that recently, about how uh, the Watford captain, how there's no one coming out and there must be gay players in every club. But certainly she was a trailblazer on the women's side, Leanne Sanderson, or Sanderson, however you uh, say your A's. And she um, kind of is really open and is, for me, Again, a conversation where in, in the past, maybe you feel a little bit clunky doing it as a white straight man asking questions, but just trying to be open about where we can get to where each of us is judged on our individual merits, not superficial uh, characteristics like how much melanin we have in our skin, what our skin color is, or 
who we choose to uh, be romantic with, which is, you know, again, not people's inherent qualities. That's not, it's not about your compassion, your kindness, your strength, your ambition, your enthusiasm, all those good qualities. We're not judged necessarily on that. People are still judged on these superficial things, which you want to get away from that. And if those that may have hidden advantages like white men, like myself, actually, you know what? I'm a, I grew up in sport. I love sport. I want it to be fair. I want it to be open. So hopefully you'll enjoy this conversation with Leanne Sanderson. Hope you do. Let me know what you think, guys. I'll be back at the end just to, to wrap it up. Uh, but here we go. Uh, footballer and analyst, coach, businesswoman, Leanne Sanderson. Hey, Leanne, how are you? Yeah, it worked. It did, I know. Sorry for the uh, complications. I used to be able to do these in person and hopefully we'll yeah. be able to record it soon again. No, like it, wasn't, it wasn't bad or anything. It just I think it's because I went, it was the first time I went into the app since I joined up, signed yeah. up. And then it just said, um, and then when I went back out of it and came back in, it said, do you want to join you? Because originally yeah. it said that I want to do a podcast. So, yeah. Uh, um, no, well, no worries. Well, it's, it's a brave new world, isn't it? We've all been doing, but you've been doing your Instagram programs as well, haven't you? So I guess yeah. there's, been, there's been plus sides. How, have you, how much have you enjoyed doing that? Yeah, it's been great. Um, to be honest, like, I started it because I was in LA on my own. And wow. I was thinking like, what, um, during like lockdown and stuff. And it wasn't as locked down there as it is kind of here. Yeah. Um, and, uh, her, well, it was here, I guess. Mm. And um, so I was, it was like the weather's like nice. Like, it was fine. You know what I mean? When the sun's shining, I'm happy. Yeah, and I me thought, too. What can I do to like really, you know? And I'm quite good at thinking on my toes, like in a sense, like I don't freeze when things get difficult. I kind of come alive more. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, oh, let me make the most of my like friends and sharing them with other people and their stories and just enjoy. It. I just enjoy it really. So I did sessions and stuff, and then I thought, oh, let me just chat with my mates online. Really. Yeah. It wasn't. It's like interview, but not really. It's more like if we. I wanted it to be more like completely unscripted. If we're down the down the pub we just chat in and it yeah. really was like that like that's how I speak we speak to the most everyone I had on there I'm friends with apart from you know when I say friends with I don't really know Mark Cuban very well who's like a really successful oh, businessman yeah. Yeah. so he owns, I'm, owns a Cowboys is he Mark Cuban is that right yeah Dallas, the Dallas Mavericks oh, Mavericks sorry yeah, yeah the NBA team so yeah he he's somebody that followed me a few months ago and I followed him and I thought well he obviously sees something in me that he thinks I'm good at, like, you know, like business stuff and that. So yeah. I thought, oh, why not? And then we spoke, like, and then he said, yeah, of course, I'd love to. So that was great. So, yeah, it was it was really good. It helped me, like, it was good for my mind to have something to look forward to on the weekend because yeah. every day just kind of started to feel like Groundhog Day, didn't <laughs> no. it? And I just thought, oh, this is good. So it really helped me, like, get through those times and have something to look forward to. So, yeah. Oh, good for you. Good for you. Cause that's, but that's the interesting thing. So just like a conversation, because that's what I wanted to do with this, because I, I worked on a couple of podcasts in the media for a radio station. And then at Sky, I used to host the boxing podcast. But then when I went full time on Sky Sports News, I couldn't quite pull it off. And there was sort of interdepartment politics. But I thought the actual basis, because we used to get boxers in who were Southern area champions in London, but they were still, you know, still getting up in the morning and, and doing a day job, driving mm-hmm. a cab or whatever. And it was, it was always interesting stories, but the format works better just to have a conversation rather than the standard media thing where, you know, I love my job, but we only usually get like two or three minutes. Yeah, to, I was just to about to, to say people. that. Like, I always watch like um, This Morning and all these TV shows, like Loose Women and stuff like that, because I like them. Yeah. And like, when I watch them, they never give enough time to people like and that's no. why I also why I like doing it as well because there was never really a time limit you know I wanted to keep it mm. less than an hour some yeah. people I could have spoke to them for like we could have spoke for like five hours do you know what I mean yeah, but yeah I agree I'm always thinking like why like they spend more time watching someone bake a cake than they do <laughs> like the other day someone was baking like a apple pie or something which is great and they were on there for like 15 minutes and then you wow. know, somebody like, you know, Trisha Goddard was on there talking about like race in, in Connecticut mm. and America. Mm. And they just kind of was like, great points, Trisha. We need to go now. I know it's live TV. I get that. But yeah. It's just like, come on. Like, it's anxiety, isn't it? It's anxiety because you're trying to hurtle towards that next commercial break. But actually, like, you're right. You just need to allocate time. Is that because... why you think that happens, though? Because obviously, think... you're a professional in, in what you do. And, and, you've done it for so many years. Like, is that why you think that happens? I think there's a little bit of that because if you think we've always got that junction coming up, so we're always trying to kind of hit that without, you know, and obviously presenters can ad-lib around that, but I think sometimes there is, but I've always said that particularly, you know, the past few months have been very quiet and, and sort of depressing on the sports front, but actually it's when you have a guest, just let them breathe, have them for a part, 
and you know we can go to a break come back I think that there's always that sense of trying to fill an hour so you're looking ahead of time you're thinking oh we'll put this in put that in but sometimes you need to be able to just um I think drop it for that for that live stuff because actually people people enjoy conversation I think that's what podcasts are proven and, and you know you say about the, the length of it and I'm sure you know, you're a vivacious character he's a great talker you could talk that long and you could someone like Joe Rogan he sort of exploded the myth didn't he about us not being able to to talk for three hours or listen to that because people people listen to his podcast for three hours yeah. so it's interesting it's right, interesting true. yeah but it's, it's it's great but um especially issues like that you think like things like uh, black lives matter and and i know you've been a big part of the pride movement as well to get to those issues it's very hard to do that in a couple of minutes isn't it without being trite or just trying to be sort of i guess um headliney in the way you do it yeah i mean i know i'm not gonna get i know that, that you're never gonna get like 20 minutes chatting on a show Mm. But I'm I'm at the frame, I'm in the point in my life where if I'm not going to be able to really express certain things, if you're going to ask me to talk about, like if a, if a company or someone's going to ask me to talk about Black Lives Matter mm. or things that really mean a lot to me, then I'm going to need more than 10 seconds, you know? Yes. I did yeah. an interview the other week like, and I won't say who it was for. And like, I came off the phone and like my agent called me and said, how did it go? I said, I'm a little bit frustrated because it didn't go badly. It was just that I didn't really get to speak mm. because they said that they had like, the room they were like uh, renting for their office space, like they had it to a certain time. And like, it was oh, almost no. like, let's do this interview to tick a box as opposed to like, yeah. let's actually talk about it, you know? And, and when it's something to do with race and homophobia mm. and things like that, it's like, you know, it, it means more, like it, there's more to talk about. And we could talk about mm. it until next year and it will never still make it correct. But yeah. at the same time, like, I don't want to just do things because it's a big company. I want to do it because they're going to give me the platform to do that yeah it gives you time to explode explode myths and, and get into things and, and have like as a white person have uncomfortable conversations as well because i've been doing some stuff for youtube uh with mixed martial arts actually which is a sport i'm kind of new to i've been big into boxing for a mm -hmm. long time but i've been interviewing some people to help out the digital department and contribute more because we're only doing sort of a couple of shifts a week versus our regular four at sky sports news and i was speaking to a i say young lad i'm 38 39 he's 33 but um he seems really young michael venom page he's from hackney he's a mm -hmm. really established mma fighter but we were having a conversation just about that how the need to and we were able to talk about black lives matter he's part of a group promoting equality as well and he was just being honest about saying that even as a black man he didn't realize about subconscious bias and things that he he talked about and he was talking about slavery and how he'd been telling people to get over it when he was a kid and now he's realizing the kind of the ripple effect of all those horrific things happened hundreds of years ago and still how they persist in terms of language and bias and, and sort mm -hmm. of prejudice now. But yeah. he was saying that, but he was saying, I need to have that conversation with someone like you. And we're saying like a white and a black person to sit down and a white person to say, look, it feels a bit uncomfortable to talk about slavery and stuff, but actually, you know, this has happened and it's, it's impacting us now. And we need yeah. to, sort of, to move forward. We almost need to, to have time to discuss it and to, to, to vent it. Don't we, I suppose. Well, I think it's interesting when you see, because, I feel like when I originally like signed up to Twitter, like about 10 years ago, yeah. Twitter was originally supposed to be, you know, for people interacting celebrity celebrities and things like that. And, mm. you know, being more reachable, but like sometimes now you go on Twitter and you realize how messed up some people really are. And yeah. a high percentage of people and then perspective, because some people just want to troll. Some yeah. people just want to fight and some people just want to argue. But then there's also people that use it for the right reasons. And like, Mm. Yesterday, the other day, for example, there was a, a, I think he was a former rugby player, but I'm not sure exactly who he actually is. But he yeah, tweeted, I know about, about, yeah, he tweeted yeah. about, you know, when you get pulled over by the police, why don't, you know, in other words, people just comply with the police, which I understand they should. Mm. But my dad, every time he got pulled over, complied with the police and they were still mean to him. And yeah. if you have any idea how that feels, right, to mm. go through your life every single time and that happens. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's bad enough if it happens once, let alone 20 times plus. It's mm. going to make you feel a certain way, isn't it? It's going to make you feel angry. It's going to make you feel upset afterwards. And it's like when people... So there's people that just don't have the experience to understand, mm. you know? Because every time my dad got pulled over for no reason, he complied. Yeah. You know, it wasn't rude to them or anything like that. Whereas, like, someone's... A lot of people on Twitter were being like, well, they're only doing their job because they don't understand because they are a white male. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, and that's yeah, the truth. Yeah. Like, you know, being a white male is such a privileged position to be in, no matter what wealth you are, and no yeah. matter how much money you have, no matter what, you literally will never have to, and mm. break, and that's a good thing, go through what a black person would, and that's not saying it's a white person's fault, it's just the truth. Yeah. So when people yeah. say these things about all lives matter, 
Like, what about white lives? They just are so ignorant. They don't understand. Mm. And it yeah. does stem from education. Do you know what I mean? Because I don't yeah. think just because somebody doesn't understand, it doesn't mean they're racist. It's about education. And I yeah. think sometimes people are too scared to ask any questions because they don't want to offend anybody. And that's the balance that I always try to find that some people have, I've asked them when I've gone to work on TV shows before, I'm like, you know, sometimes I think there are men out there that are good guys. And because obviously the Me Too movement and there's a lot of people that have been horrible, Mm. it makes probably men second guess everything they say. Mm. You know what I mean? Whereas there are some guys that are not trying to be, you know, um, sexist or things like that. They're just actually saying, do you know what? You look nice today. You know, yes. there are weirdos and there are people that try and put it on. <laughs> but at the same time, you know what I mean. It's like yeah, no, no, but, it's, now... but, that's the, but being open, because that's the thing is, if the good people or the, the people with the positive intent, if they're scared to say stuff, then you don't actually get the right people sort of pushing the, the movement forward, do you? Because people are right. almost like, I kind of want to avoid the topic because I'm worried about it. And, you and know, you're I, so standoffish. Like, people become standoffish. Like, the other month, someone said to me, oh, can I give you a hug and a kiss on the cheek? And I'm like, of course you can. Mm, you know what yeah. I mean? And I was like... Yeah. That's that's like to me that that makes me feel sad that people like feel that way. But unfortunately, some people have ruined it for other people. But like I said, I just think it's all about education. And yeah. It's all about you know um, people asking questions and a lot of people saying I had no idea that mm. happened. You know, even when I was on Sky the other week um, with with Jess Crichton's show and yeah. Sue Smith was on there with me and Rachel Yankee and Sue was like kind of apologizing to me and Yank saying I'm sorry I didn't see this but that wasn't her place to see it because it wasn't so obvious does that make yeah. sense yeah it isn't yeah always obvious and sometimes I find I have to pick my battles Ed you know what I mean mm. because you yeah. don't want to always be the person you know standing up speaking up because then people think you're a troublemaker but it's actually like well this is actually happening like yeah. why is this happening yeah you know but- and, and people just need to be a little bit more aware of what's going on with other people, not just when it happens to them. And I think that's a big key that I've realised in life, that yeah. people have not much empathy and it only only react when something happens to them, when it's like, well, actually, um, I saw that, this is what happened, and I've yeah. improved. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I think people can have sort of rose-tinted glasses to it as well, because Jess Crichton's um, a black reporter and presenter at Sky Sports, for people who are listening, and Rachel Yankee, legendary um, black footballer for England, Sue Smith, a white footballer for the England women's team as well for people wondering. And I think it's, it's also just the, the fact that we don't necessarily understand. So we have a rose tinted glasses where we view the world as, oh, I'm going to be nice to everyone. Everyone can be nice to me if you're a well-meaning person, but unaware that for people who have a lot of melanin in their skin or a little bit of melanin in their skin or whatever, more than the average white person, they're having a different experience of, of life, with it, be it overt stuff where people are still using the N-word from what I, I couldn't believe that. People have told me in the last few weeks guys in their 20s that they were called the n-word growing up and things like that and i thought wow that's that's the that's a kind of overt racism is still persisting and then it's the the kind of covert stuff as well that, that people feel um you know there's a subconscious bias where people going for yeah. jobs don't, don't see themselves represented and i didn't think about that that if you walk into an interview panel and you look very different or superficially different because i don't think kids see any of these differences my, my mm-hmm. little girl doesn't she's four she's five now but doesn't see the difference but adults have got this kind of like idea in their head about things and it illuminated to me because my first school was in the Caribbean I was I went to a primary school out there and I was a minority but I didn't feel anything you know I was four or five and it was a great school it was an island seven miles long one mile wide called Grand Turk and you know it was the only difference for for us as kids was that the the black kids didn't have as much sun cream as that was the thing that had to be (laughs) that was the and that is the only difference right that's the only difference really it's a superficial that's but and but I think moving around and speaking to people but even that, that was my attitude, but I wasn't aware of things that still persisted in the, in the 21st century for people, you know, with, with, with more sort of uh, darker skin than me. But so the, it's, it's the crazy. The thing is as well, though, you saying your little girl, like she doesn't see, you know, any difference. That's the thing about racism and homophobia. It's, yeah. it's a learnt thing. You know, if you, if you raise your kids in the right way and you teach them to love everybody, then they will, you mm. know. And I think sometimes, you know, there's that one picture of the, the little boy, black boy hugging the white boy and it, it's kind of always trending on Twitter and Instagram because it's yeah. like, you know, racism isn't taught. Sorry, racism yeah. is taught. It's not, you're not born racist, you know? And it's yeah. just about educating people. But like I said, when Sue said that, Sue didn't do anything wrong, mm. you know? And, it, and it's hard because I just think what's really good about what's happened, unfortunately, it's taken the murdering of George Floyd for people yeah. to finally wake up 
Um, <laughs> but at the same time, um, and it's it's shocking, but at the same time, it's like now people realise what actually does go on because there's a lot of stories that I could write a book about the amount of times things have happened to me and people wouldn't ever understand it. Like, yeah. They'd be like, and I don't really talk about it a lot because why would I? You know, for every time I get stopped at an airport out of nowhere when I'm not even at security, I write wow. about that one in every, say, five times. Do you know what I mean? Because mm. I even, at Gatwick Airport, the guy even said to me, not you again, like, he became mates with me. The guy. <laughs> like, because he's actually not, the guy that's doing his job, he's not a bad guy, but he used to say to me, why do they, like, in other words, this is you again, because he knows I play football. But yeah. they just put, like, They'll just flag me up for some reason. But you're also, but you're very well dressed. You're polished. Why? That's, that makes no sense, doesn't no, it? No, but it, you know just... what, Ed? It's so funny because it's funny you should say that because this is an interesting concept as well. That when you go through, and I'm sure there's a lot of black people and from ethnic minorities that will relate to this, where you start hmm. to dress a little bit differently, not on uh... TV, but when you fly. Because I know that if I wear a tracksuit when I fly, and this is the God's honest truth. I'm yeah. like, it could be even a nice tracksuit. Might not be. Do you know what I mean? I used to yeah. say to these people that stopped me, I'd say to them, do you know how much this tracksuit was? Like, <laughs> and these trainers, like, not like that, but like, not to be all like that, but I'm saying no, like, no. tracksuit and running trainers. Or you're, an trainers accom- you're an accomplished person. Yeah. Quite yeah, expensive. Like sometimes yeah. that is more expensive than like a, a, a suit jacket. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So I'm like, you've got your priorities all wrong. But I used to think to myself, then I thought, I don't want this headache. So mm. I started to dress like, because I'm on a 12-hour flight or sometimes an 18-hour yeah. flight. So you want to be comfy. But, you know, and obviously, like, I've had, like, girlfriends that are white as well. And mm. they've seen how I've been treated. And they can't believe it. Does that make sense? That yeah. Because yeah. like, sometimes I used to say to my ex-girlfriend, literally, I swear to you, I used to say, can you carry this through? Because they won't stop you. And I don't wow. like thinking like that. It no. might just be something, not anything illegal, but yeah. just I know that if I have a... And it's something that you, when you say it out loud, you're like, oh my God, I actually do that at airports and it became mm. normal. That and is, that, is like, that conscious profiling or is that subconscious, do you think, that they're picking you out? It's difficult to know. It's a it? mixture of both because sometimes the beep, the beep thing goes off and mm. I've seen people, but I'm talking, Ed, like I'm not talking at security. I'm talking when I'm literally about to walk on the flight yeah. at the runway. Like, I'm yeah. talking times when you least expect it. Like, when I was in Spain, I just landed in Seville, and mm. someone grabbed my arm, and off of I'm taking my luggage off of the conveyor belt, and someone grabbed my arm and took me to a side room. Wow. So, like, yeah. you tell me, you never get, that never happens. No, you never, but you never feel, never, you can't relax, you can't relax, can you? That, that's of course not. That. Yeah. But I understand people doing their job. Like, if the machine goes off and it says I've got something in my pocket or something, then absolutely, like, I'm all for them doing their jobs, but... When it's when it's when you least expect it, you know, mm. like I was so embarrassed on one of my last flights back from California and from LA because like they stopped me. I was literally about to walk on the flight. I was literally eating a piece of chicken actually because I was starving. Mm. And um they stopped me. So imagine me, I'm like literally got this piece of chicken in my hand eating yeah. <laughs> like some animal. Yeah, and hold like, this. They stopped me out of nowhere and everyone's staring at me. I'm literally on the side as you're about to get on the flight. We, yeah, we always we always get food for you. Everyone rushes to get food before you get on. Of you? course. Like the and they, thing, yeah. they stopped me, like and oh, everyone's man. staring at me, and it really it made me cry. Like I got on the flight and they're asking me why I'm in this why I'm in this class, like hmm. hold, and I've got my pit ticket in my hand, and then wow. once they realize, like they goes to me, What do you do? I said I don't need to, like, in other words, I was like, I don't need to tell you what I do because I was really upset. I yeah. said, I play football. Oh, I thought I'd seen you before. What team do you play for? I said, that's none of your concern. Because yeah. the thing is, I wasn't trying to be difficult, but I was trying not to cry, yeah. to be honest. And I was really upset. And then they went through all my stuff in my backpack. And then yeah. I obviously have to put it all back in, but everyone's staring at me because they're getting on the flight. So yeah. this makes me look like, and there's all, there's like, there's the um, CSA, which is kind of like, not the police, but they do that. That's what it's called in America. And then, the, and I'm like, I was thinking, now I feel like a criminal and everyone's staring at me and I've not done anything wrong. So, yeah. you know, it's like one of those things, I'm all for people doing their job, but you know when they're not doing their job, you know when they called you over. And I said this to Jess on the on the thing the other week, that you get this sick feeling in your stomach, Ed, that mm. like where you can't explain. And then there's me on my like 12 hour flight and the cabin crew said to me as I got on, how are you doing? How's your day? And I said, I look like I, I look like I'd seen a ghost. And yeah. And then the other person in front of me went to me. I'm so sorry that happened to you because they saw what happened. Yeah. So you know, and like uh, I said, I don't want to talk about those kind of things all the time. Yeah. You know, but it's people... negative, but it happens. It does happen all the time. And 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 this is the thing. Like, if you ask any person um, of color or of an ethnic minority, 
they'll tell you the same thing, but you kind of just get used to it because yeah. what else are you supposed to do? Then, I, there was really no other option. Well, to feel that unwelcome in life generally when you're going about your daily business must be must be horrible. I think it's massive to to raise it because again, we I think it's things that that go unnoticed you know something like the george floyd situation is tragic and horrific but everyone can be appalled by that but it's that subtle stuff that that goes on all the time that perhaps we need to you know be, pay more attention to and speak up about and white people need to speak up more about that and actually have a sense of where we want to be and i guess where we want to be is just where we are at four and five years old where we we don't see race and because the science says there's no such thing as race you know how much melanin we have in our skin or whatever that's all just based on geography of how much sun you've been exposed to your recent ancestors it's I was talking to Spencer Fearon, who's a big, um, he's a big supporter of Black Lives Matter, but he's also a motivational speaker. And he was just talking about, you know, white skin's a relatively new thing because it's when people live in the north of, of, of Europe and, and, and the States. That's where you had to adapt to having no sunshine. That's it. And that's the only difference. <laughs> yeah. And it, how do we, you know, do we, do we teach that kind of one race, human race thing? Or what, what do you think? Is it something that will, that will happen? Are you optimistic? Yeah, I am. I, like I said, I just think it's like goes back to education because I was talking to my dad about this the other day about when you're at school, you know, they don't talk enough about, you don't get taught enough about slavery. You get taught mm. almost like, not the wrong things, I wouldn't say, but things that just you just don't know. Whereas it makes me happy now that kids in school, they have people that go in and talk about race. They have people that go in and talk about, you know, sexuality because growing for people to grow up and feel like they're not like everybody else, that's not a nice feeling. Mm. You know what I mean? And I do think yeah. it depends on where you are, what part of England you're from yeah. and what part of the country you're from because some places just don't have any black people and mm. that's the truth. But at the same time, I just think I am optimistic because you have to be. Um, and I think now what's, what's good about what's happening, if there's any good that's happening, is that it's raising awareness and, you know, everybody's feeling like they can share their stories because, like I said, I've got a lot of black friends, my family, my, I'm half Jamaican, and mm. we all could we, we could all sit there and share stories of what's happened to us that's bad. Yeah. But we haven't because when you meet up for a christening or a family gathering, you don't just start sharing bad stories, but you almost get no. used to it. Whereas yeah. if it happened to a white person, they'd probably be like talking about it a lot because they're not used to it. They'd yeah. be like, can you believe that someone pulled me over? I didn't do anything wrong. Whereas that's a standard day in the life of a black person. And, and that's the truth. So mm. I am optimistic that it can change. And, you know, with everybody having these uncomfortable conversations, and I say uncomfortable because it's not uncomfortable for black people, really, but I think it's uncomfortable for white people to hear it or really what know what's going on. But I think the more questions that are being asked, the better it is. And there's no such thing as a bad question, you know? Mm, and you yeah. have to trust people's intentions because I think sometimes I'd rather someone ask me than mm. think they know the answer. I don't know the answers yet. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah, but yeah. I'm saying I'd rather someone have a question and ask me than just assume yeah. and then take that with them and, and educate people in that way. So I just think it comes down to education. But at the same time, it comes down to what people, who genuinely people are at the core, Ed. You know, mm. because you can educate somebody, but if they are racist, that is ingrained in them, then they can fake it till they make it all they want. Because it's the mm. same as when someone sends out a tweet or does something in the public eye and then they apologize on social media. You can tell when someone's apology is sincere and you can tell when someone's publicist has told them or written it for them. Yes. You know, so you'd rather someone just be genuine. And if they're racist, then you take them for what they are. It's wrong. But mm. you'd rather them be like, that than just kind of like faking it till they make it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. It's interesting because, yeah, because Michael Venom Page had a conversation with him and a, and a boxer called Matt Skelton used to be a kickboxer and a Muay Thai expert, won a European title. And he's he works with getting uh, war veterans back into community now and counselling them effectively. And he talks about racism and how he, he says he, he wants to sit down with people who are racist or maybe not racist, but just have open conversations. And Michael Vanden Page was saying to me that a lot of his white friends almost felt awkward about using the word black, like it was something they couldn't say. So they felt sensitive, but you kind of need to just have those conversations and get around yeah. that awkwardness. But I wondered if, because you've obviously traveled the world, you've been all over, you played football in Italy, Spain, all over the United States, obviously in the UK as well. Do you think it's, is that important to get out and meet different people from different cultures, different backgrounds? Because when you do that, and I've traveled a bit and I lived in the States and, and as I say, in the Caribbean, and you sort of realize people are people. And sometimes people are able to have that tribalism of them and us, be it about skin color or be it about, about sexuality or be it about 
um, football clubs. You know, some people can't yeah. believe that. Some people on Twitter get angry that I talk to Liverpool fans on social media. Being a Man United fan, I just think, yeah, what? that's ridiculous. just ridiculous. But that is that them and us culture, isn't it? That seems to underpin it sometimes. Yeah, that I mean, there are ridiculous people, and I think that's good. There's pros and cons about social media because too many people have a voice when it comes to certain things, and they just want to get, they just want to argue all the time, and that's something that I don't like about Twitter now because I love Twitter and I actually love interacting with Man United fans when we play and stuff. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I think a lot of people have taken a back seat, but with Twitter because of the way people just come at you for no reason, you know, mm. you'll say the sky is blue and they'll be like, no, it's not it's <laughs> yellow. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. They're just trying to argue all the time, but. When it comes back, going back to the question about what different countries, like it's interesting because I always believe in stepping outside your comfort zone and putting yourself in positions, not where you feel in danger, but mm. I've lived in Spain. I lived in a small, I lived just outside Barcelona, but it was a very small town, wow. San Andrea de Besos. And it was right by Espanol training ground. Mm. And I was literally like, I wouldn't say there was any black people, there wasn't anyone of ethnic minority or anything. Mm. And when I first got there, people would say things, you know, stare at me and stuff wow. like that and then in what happened was I gradually won people over by just physically being there and mm. I don't think it was a matter of me wanting trying to win them over I was just like you know what I know why you're staring at me I know why you're like what you're saying because I can understand Spanish now at the mm. beginning but you don't have to understand the language to know when someone's being nice to you and when they're not no you know um, but like I said I think for me putting myself in situations has has helped me grow as a person and I think it goes back to like I don't want to live somewhere where people don't accept me Ed yeah. you know that's not what I'm going to do so I've lived all over America and honestly for all the bad things that's happening in America especially with the president which mm. we won't get into and his views and the way he is mm -hmm. uh, I, I've had nothing but great experiences in America yeah. So my best decision of my life was moving there 10 years ago. It's very it's people, diverse place, isn't it? Because you've been all over the States. You've lived East Coast, what, Boston, Philadelphia, yes. uh, DC. And you've been over in, in Portland as well on the West Coast. And yes. Buffalo, Buffalo, New York, which is very different to, to New York, New York. Yes. I mean, it's been, I've had such a, I've had a great understanding and experience. But I have also can see where things need to be better because it is so separated right by race. So mm. you could be driving through Washington, D.C., and all of a sudden, you know, you'll get to an area and I'm like, oh, this seems a bit like this doesn't seem very nice. And then someone will say, oh, well, this is the hood. And mm. I'm like, well, why is this the hood? There's just black people. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Why is that considered the hood? You know, like it's things like that that people say that they don't quite understand. But there is such a divide in America when it comes to race. Yes. And wealth, but more so race. You know, there's yeah. you're gonna get that in a lot of countries. But at the same time, I notice it in America that like. Literally, it is the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. And a lot of that is also to do with healthcare because in England, we have the NHS, mm. which is free healthcare. In America, they don't, you know? So you do notice yeah. a lot of difference in mental health, people that are wandering the streets that don't get the medication. And I think that's the biggest problem. But I also think for me, like, I, I honestly believe that you can change people's perceptions by just being you and physically being there. Yeah. And an example I'll give is when I went to Qatar last year, to do the Women's World Cup with being sports. Yeah. Some people said to me, don't go there. They have laws where they can kill you for being gay. Be mm. careful and all that. Now, I understand that. And I absolutely, that law is absolutely disgraceful. I hate it and, you know, and everything in between. Yeah. But what I thought to myself, if I go there, there's those different things that went through my mind. If I go, one, I feel in danger. I don't feel good. And it is as bad as everybody's saying. Then I'll just come home. Mm. You know, I won't stay there. Yeah. Honestly, I'm so glad I went because I've been back three times since and it is one of the best places I've Good. ever been to. And people say to me, how can you say that as a gay female professional athlete? And I'm like, not everybody says that, but honestly, like I, I and let's be honest, right? Mm. When you're in a culture, you have to respect the culture. I always believe that. Mm. You know, I think you have to respect the culture you're in. So I respect their culture and yeah. they respect me. And, you know, they know I'm gay. It's not like I hide it, you know, yeah. but you tell me why they opened the Khalifa Stadium, which is the main stadium, which is going to be one of the main stadiums for the World Cup, for me and my girlfriend to run a, a camp for a wow. dance wow. for all the girls from all over the world. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So yeah. that, well, that, it, does, that doesn't but, happen. Like, but you're, so, chipping away, you're chipping away on that, that 
sort of institutional prejudice as well, aren't just by being you. There's, I mean, an amazing story about a guy called Daryl Davis, a uh, black, black guy in America who's converted like 200 people out of the Ku Klux Klan just by sitting down with them, being a bright, engaging mm-hmm. guy. And he shouldn't have to do that. No. But he, he explodes those myths because he's yep. like, well, this is me. I'm a, you know, this is how I am. Why wouldn't you like me kind of thing? Exactly. And you're talking like, what I've learned is that I don't try and change a culture. And I think mm. sometimes when you go to teams in different countries, you can see certain things, you try to change them, but you realise it's ingrained in them. Not yeah. just of race and homophobia, it could just be a mentality of knowing how to push yourself that extra 20%, you know? Mm. And I think, like, when I'm in Qatar, like, honestly, Ed, like, people say to me, how can you say... I'm like, honestly, like, people are great to me. And even people that you would not even understand, they'd be like, oh, do you want to get lunch? You know what I mean? Like, mm. like, oh, my God, they're, like, one of the big wigs of, like, the road to 22 and they're like wanting to hang out with you yeah not that yeah. they and i think to myself why is that a big deal and i think actually that is a big deal you know yeah. and i think sometimes you can just change people's perceptions by being you like i was over there with my girlfriend at the time and mm. we weren't going around holding hands kissing and doing all that but we wouldn't do that anyway mm. you know what i mean like we're a very affectionate couple but at the same time again yeah. we don't yeah. walk around the, the mall in a in a in a vest because you have to cover your shoulders like you know, yeah, but everyone, everyone does that, don't they? Men and women, yeah, have to. Right, yeah. and I had to go, when I was working on being swords, I had to go and buy a completely new wardrobe because <laughs> you can't wear, like, certain things, you know, and that's respecting the culture. Like, that's how it is. Yes, yeah. No, you're right, actually. I, I, I went bizarre, because it was very early days in Doha. I commentated one of my first gigs, I think I was 24 in 2006, on the uh, Asian Games basketball because I'd done my journalism degree in the States. I knew a bit about basketball and I commentated there. And it was, yeah, it was a great place in lots of ways. It was really kind of early days in terms of the, the architecture was all being built up. A lot of the buildings were empty. But I think you're right in that. I think that through meeting people and just being yourself and, and all of us being good people, we can kind of spread that whilst being aware of this institutional bias and trying to kind of actively work against that and talk about it. And I think for, for white people like me, sometimes it's easier to speak to people like you and try and create content around it um than talking about things we don't necessarily understand although i understand more now from from speaking to people and it's that, that tribalism of them and us is is interesting so i remember um i was a little boy and i read an article with halle berry i think i was looking for the pictures to be honest so i was a little boy of halle berry <laughs> but i uh, i read i read the uh, the article and she was talking about i think she had a white mum and a black dad just about how she'd found growing up in the states i think her mum was english but she was saying how it was very difficult because she was sort of ostracized by both black children and white children at high school. And it was, it was interesting, wasn't it? Is that, that we always want to look to find groups. I, I think we need to get over that a little bit. Yeah. See us as one big group, you know, it's just us. There's no them. It doesn't have to be a them. No, it's true. I think, and like I said, I mean, people like Halle Berry and Jennifer Lopez are like, I wish, I hope I look like them when I'm six, six, six <laughs> You might do actually, yeah, yeah. I'm hoping I will because they look fantastic. But, um, I Yeah, I hope that one day we can all be one. But at, until that point, you know, we just need to keep having these kind of conversations. And I think people just don't... It, it's one of those things. People just don't know what they don't know. Do you know what mm. I mean? So, But then it's being open to knowing that. And, and one of my hopes and aspirations and dreams is that people accept everybody. Don't just accept me because I play for Juventus. Don't just mm. accept in, in Italy. Do you know what I mean? Like, play yeah. for Juventus in Turin. You're like a, a queen or a king. Do you know amazing, what I mean? Amazing, like, yeah. As soon as they find out, like, I might get some weird stares. And as soon as they're like, oh, they play for Juventus, it's like, well, all of a sudden, we're okay. Not yeah. everywhere, but I'm saying, but I want my dad to be able to go for a walk on his own and mm. people not be staring at him or following yeah. him around the shop. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It shouldn't mean that you just because you play for a team or people then know what you do, that you're accepted. Because yeah. let's be honest, like, there's a lot of people that are not professional athletes and that they're also really amazing. Mm. Just because you're not a professional athlete or a celebrity doesn't make you less of a person. And my hope and aspiration, because I've seen that happen where people have, like, you know, been prejudiced towards people and then they realise who they are. And then, you know, you heard the Mm. story about Oprah Winfrey. I think she was in Switzerland. And Mm. they told her she couldn't afford that bag and they never even showed her. Wow. Yeah. Richest woman in the world. Exactly. So it's like things like that, you know, you just have to sometimes just educate people. And what I mean by that is I've learned not to get annoyed anymore. You know, when mm. me and my dad are being followed around the shop, you know, yeah. when I was a kid and we used to get followed around the shop, I used to think, say, Dad, why are they following us? And he'd say, like, and it used to annoy my dad, but now we both just kind of like, you know, we shouldn't have to dress up to go shopping in London. No, no. But literally, that's how I used to feel. Like, I used to feel like I have to, like, dress a certain way mm. because otherwise they're going to, like, you know, um, not treat me with respect. And that's not a nice feeling. Yeah. And what, did you have white relatives as well, Leanne, did you? Was that... Yeah. Was that, yeah, so what was so that I'm, like for, for that dynamic? 
So my mum's, it's interesting you should ask that actually, because I was actually going to talk about this. But so my mum's family are white and my dad's um, Jamaican. Mm. And um, my mum's family is pretty small. But like my, gra- my nan, my mum's mum, like my mum was talking about this to me the other day that like my nan grew up in Bermondsey, right? You're yeah. talking back in like 80 years ago, right? <laughs> so there's a lot of racism in, in Bermondsey in South East London then, you know, mm. and even my like, my nan's mum, like my, my great gran, I was yeah. alive when she when she was alive, but she she didn't like the fact that my mum and dad were together. You know, yeah. a black man, white woman, but it didn't stop my mum. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. my yeah. nan, for example, she has never left this country, right? Wow. She's never been on a flight, never been out of England. She's been to like Scotland and places like that, you know. Yeah. But she is the most open-minded lady you're ever going to meet. So mm. it goes back to the theory that I'm saying we need to educate ourselves and traveling. It kind of contradicts what I'm saying because... I'm saying traveling can help, yeah, yeah, and being in the comfort zone. But my nan, who is like 87 years old now, is the most open, welcome human being you're ever going to meet. And it's not just because she's my nan. When it mm. comes to race, when it comes to sexuality, you know, every person that I've had it been in a relationship with, not that there's been loads, she's <laughs> like, you know, this is my other granddaughter. You know, whoever it is, she has accepted them and never, ever, ever looked at the fact that I'm with a woman or anything yeah. like that. And that goes back to like the fact that being a good person, doesn't it, Ed? Because it's like yeah. my nan yeah. grew up in an era that there was extreme racism in Bermondsey in South East London. Pretty mm. bad. But my nan has no bad, bad blood in her body. Yeah. So it's interesting to think about that. So, yeah, I grew up in a family where everything was equal. You know, mm. if I went to somebody told my mum, like, don't send me to a specific school because they're racist and don't give black people opportunities. I got in the school, went to the school and had a fantastic time and loved it. Good. So sometimes it is because you're not... Did, really did your mum get flack for, for being with a black man or your dad get flack for being with a white woman? Um, what was that like? I'd say so. I mean, not from their... Well, I, like I said, from my mum's, like, great... From my mum's nan, but mm. originally. But, like, I wouldn't say that they're friends and stuff like that, like, back in the day, no. I'd have mm. to ask them. But yeah. at the same time, it, it, it's not one of those things we ever think about or talk about because we no. don't even see anything as being different. But... When I speak to my mum about how that was back in the day and it took my mum to not actually, to not speak to her nan, for her mm. to finally realise she was wrong. You know, yeah. my mum my and my nan were really close, my great nan were really close. And yeah. it took my mum to say, well, you won't be speaking to me or me in me until you accept this. And then about a year later, my mum got a phone call from her nan to say, sorry, Joan, you know. I'm really sorry about how things happen. I want to see Leanne and all these things. Good, so, good. You know, it takes something to, yeah. to change people. And that's how it is. And, you know, I don't really remember my great nan because I was a baby. Yeah. But that's where I get my integrity from and my, my you know, the way I am. <laughs> because it's like my mum was willing to stand up for what she believed in was right when it's not easy. Yeah. And fall in love and, with someone you want to fall in love with. Yeah, yes. Exactly. It's normal. You yeah. know, my mum and dad have been together like 45 years this year. Mm. So, you know. That just goes to show you that if you do stand up for what's right. But like I said, I do think that you have a choice as well of how you want to be as well. Mm. Do you know what I mean? You don't have to. It's like you can also choose to be racist or not or choose to educate yourself or not. And I think what you have to be mindful of is people that say certain things at the slip of a tongue mm. because they, they forget who they're surrounded by. Do you know yeah. what I mean? I yeah. think that happens yeah. to people a lot where they say the wrong thing because they yeah. say it in front of the wrong people, but it's actually who they really are. Yeah. Well, Matt, Matt Skelton was saying an interesting thing to me, actually. He was saying that even when he's with black friends, he's very vigilant about it. if they say something anti-white or anti-Chinese. Uh, or, or so He says, well, hang on a minute, you can't generalise about people. You have to meet everyone's an individual, everyone's human, and everyone's different, be it good or bad. It, but you know, it breaks my heart thinking about your parents having those conversations about your school. It's something that came up recently because, obviously, as I said, my little girl has got black uh, children in her class, Asian children in her class, even though we live in a predominantly white area because we live near in-laws and stuff like that in the, in the Cotswolds, but she doesn't have to confront that issue. I don't necessarily, maybe I should, I haven't sat down with her because she doesn't see race, she doesn't see skin colour, so I think I don't want to start making the world to be unpleasant to her or to see the differences in the, in, in the sort of ugly side of it. But then yeah. I, there's a colleague of ours wrote, wrote an email and a letter internally, a black guy, saying about how he'd had to explain to his children who were a similar age, like five, about why they were being looked at in shops, why they were being followed around, why people were acting suspiciously or, or, or kind of treating them with suspicion. And I thought, wow, that broke my heart because I thought it's such a different world. I don't have to have that. I don't have to break 
my little girl's bubble at the moment. She lives in a sort of, you know, sort of, uh, I guess, a utopia, which is what we want the world to be like. But yeah. that, that, that's sad, isn't it? When little kids have to, you have to have those conversations and explain how unpleasant the world can be. Yeah, I think it's finding that balance, you know, because you don't want to, you don't want to poison their brains. But mm. you want to have them to be open-minded, you know? And I think with the way you are, Ed, and how open-minded you are, then yeah. that's going to be helpful for your kids, you know? Because I think it's being aware of it, being aware of what they need what they need to know, what they don't need to know. Because you don't want to poison their young minds at such a young age, but you obviously want to make sure that they're open to it. And to be honest, like, my school, both my schools I went to, my primary school, secondary school, were so diverse. It was amazing. Yeah. You know, every single different type of person. And that's what I grew up in. Whereas Is that Lewisham? I, yeah. yeah. Yeah, in Beckenham, actually. I went to school oh, in Beckenham, yeah. Bromley, yeah. Uh, both my schools. And, you know, it was so great. Like, the diversity, like, and no one, I wouldn't say anybody got, like, I was very lucky in my school. And I'm glad that my mum sent me there and didn't listen to, like, what someone had told her. Because, you know, I always believe you have to experience it. And if I went there and felt that way, then mm. I would have left that school. But I didn't feel that way. So, you know, but I just think you have to find that balance of um, not poisoning a child's mind, but obviously, yeah. obviously making them aware to what's actually going yeah. on as they get a little bit older. I don't want to, I don't want to see difference because, yeah, my wife's best friend is, is um, from dual heritage. Her dad's, her mum's from the Caribbean. Her dad's from Wales, a white guy from Wales. And it's like, you sort of think she doesn't recognize that. And actually our friend said to us, she said, Oh, does, does she sort of say anything about my skin color? And I was like, no, she doesn't, she hasn't noticed it at all. It's like, but so it's like, I don't want her to start picking up on difference between, you know, things like that. But I guess it, it will come up and hopefully have an open conversation about how some people are flawed and how some people treat other people differently and how she shouldn't. And actually her motto at her primary school is always be kind. So hopefully that, mm. that resonates things like that. You realize that little kids, we, we sometimes have to reverse engineer ourselves from adults where we've got all yeah. these, uh, these social constructs and we were, you know, everyone was quite nice when we were four or five. So it's, yeah, uh, it's, it's funny. So true. Um, it's but so have true. you got have you got a couple of minutes to talk about football, or you, do you have to go, Leanne? How are no, you doing? no, no. I can talk. It's no problem. Yeah. Well, no, because I was going to talk about women's football. How how optimistic about that? And talk about expo- sort of exploding myths because I grew up in obviously a macho culture. I suppose when I came back to England of, around football and football being a man's sport and all this stuff. And then I started coaching in the summers in the states, and we were coaching half half uh, girls it was a you know it was considered a sort of at least an equal sport so- soccer over there for, for men and women and I it sort of exploded any myths that be- been told to me because I was like hang on a minute these girls are really good they're technically as good as the boys and actually better in some instances and they'll learn better they'll t- take instruction better and it, it that sort of exploded my myth how do you feel about women's football generally and in, and in the UK at the moment yeah I think it's definitely grown I mean I started playing when I was five years old so like 26 years ago now and you know I I always sell uh, share this story about how I was the only girl you know mm. and I used to walk down the street in my Man United kit and people used to <laughs> stop their cars and say things like people can't believe that not you know Crystal I mean? like, Palace Crystal Palace <laughs> used to stop their car and be like oh you're a tomboy like say sometimes not very nice things and I used to think why are they saying this stuff I just love football do you know what yeah, I mean yeah whereas now what makes me happy is you see girls and people see girls and they don't say oh let's put the girl in goal do you know mm. what I mean like they're not yeah. good enough I think but then again it comes down to you know exposure and mm. when you put the games on tv like it makes such a difference and I think now people can see the women's game and they've seen the men back the women's game. Like, yeah. Arsenal were always a step ahead of everybody. And that's why we were so successful. Yeah. Because, you know, Vic Akers used to, we used to go and train at the men's training ground. We were doing everything the men was doing, apart from mm. how much we were getting paid. So how, we'd have to... how old were you when you made your debut, by the way? You were crazy young, weren't you? 14. <laughs> wow. That is yeah. unbelievable. So I signed for Arsenal when I was nine. And then um, played in the first team game against Fulham. In the Premier League when I was... And I actually scored on my debut, actually. But I don't really remember talk about that because we lost. So it kind of annoyed me. Because everyone wants to talk about my goal. And Mm. I'm like, but we lost. So I don't care. Like, that's how I am. Yeah. Um, But it was obviously an amazing achievement to to play when I was 14 and stuff like that. But we used to, like, literally, like, we'd meet at the training ground in London Colney at, like, on a Saturday to go to the away game. Mm. And let's say, like, our time... We'd wait for the men to come back like we'd meet up at the training ground and then they'd literally clean the bus and then we'd get on their bus and it sounds like only something small but we mm. had like flat screen tvs we were able to watch sky sports news we had wow. like, a kitchen on the bus so like things like that Arsenal mm. were always a step ahead of the ahead of the game because it's only something small but they never used to just stick us on some like bus on a long bus journey we used to get the men's bus and if the and if the arsenal men were at a game we'd yeah. get another bus from like a top company 
Yeah, you know that's amazing. I mean? Yeah. So those things are like that make a big difference. And that like, paid off, didn't it? Because you sort of you, you, you swept a domination. Was it five five Premier League titles in the noughties and, and four FA Cups, something like that? Yeah. So, you, so obviously and I'm not you reflected. Saying that, that ain't only because we had a nice bus. But no, but gave you that time. belief. <laughs> yeah. But it's like the feeling and like the way that you felt like a professional, even though it wasn't professional at that stage. Like we literally mm. used to do everything the men would do apart from the pay. And then thankfully now, you know, yeah, the pay still needs to be better, but at least players now can play full time. Still mm. going to take a little bit longer to get to where we need it to get to, but at least now players don't have to work. I mean, when we won the Champions League, at least four or five of my teammates were actually coordinating like the away team bus getting there. And mm. things like that. Like, they actually worked at the club as, like, development officers or in the office or things like that. And I used to say, as if you work, like, coordinating hotels for the other team and stuff like that, but you're actually a midfielder at Arsenal Football Club. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're playing in this game, like, today. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's crazy to think about, but that's the, re- that's the reality of how it used to be. Yeah. And it wasn't that long ago, really. You're only no. talking, like, 2007, 2010 time. So, it wasn't yeah. like it was, like, we're talking 30 years ago. No. Um but, you know, and, and thankfully now, we're players are full-time. And I think that's why we as a country have been more successful. You know, when we won the bronze medal, mm. nobody at that point was really working because it was full-time. Yeah. So you can yeah. concentrate Energy, solely yeah. on yeah. playing football and you don't have to go to work all day. And then, like, or go to, I was going to school all day, which is not the same. But, mm. you know, they're going to work all day and then having to go to training at 8 o'clock at night until 10 o'clock at night and then go to work the next day. Like, we used to train late mm. in the evening so that everybody could go and do their day jobs because how else are they going to survive, you know, financially? Yeah. Where, where, how do, where does the fan base grow from as well? It's interesting, isn't it? Because, um, by the way, my little girl, I've, I thought you, you mentioned tomboy. It's funny because that's obviously, some people see it as a derogatory term, but I, I was thinking if I ever had a daughter because I was one of four boys and my dad was one of three boys. So I sort of think it was unlikely I was going to have a little girl, but I did and it's amazing. And I thought you have to accept sometimes because she's, she's good at football. She's got a good right foot and a left foot, but it's very hard. <laughs> she's, also, she's also like oppositional. So if I try and encourage her to do anything, she's always like railing against me and she's got that kind of <laughs> Dis- Disney prince fever as well so she wants to wear like dresses and she's got which my wife isn't like at all my wife's jeans and t-shirts so it's funny mm-hmm. she's got this sort of glamorous approach but maybe <laughs> she'll get into the game because my wife and I both wanted her to have something my wife wasn't into football but she realized that when we were together that actually I could speak to people all over the world about football it was a real lingua franca and she wanted our little girl to have a hobby that kept her away from growing up too soon like I think sometimes young women can grow up too soon but yeah um, no I think football I mean I know for me growing up like I played since I was five and I signed for Arsenal when I was nine. And yeah. like, I just feel like a lot of people often ask me like, oh, how are you so confident? Where does that come from? Like you played for, you played for, like professionally when you were 14. Like that's really amazing. Mm. Whereas for me, yes, I know it was amazing, but I just felt like it was normal, Ed. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Because it yeah. was something I always dreamed of when I was a young, like from when I was five years old, I always said I'm going to be a professional footballer. And mm. some people used to look at me and be like, What's she talking about? It's not even a professional <laughs> league. But I was I knew that there was something definitely yeah. and there was never gonna be some there was never gonna be anything. And I thought to myself, I always thought, well, if there's not a professional league here, then I'll go and play somewhere else. I'm gonna be a professional. Mm. Because I just knew that's what I was gonna do and that's who I wanted to be. And you know, some people just didn't understand it sometimes because they're like, What is she talking about? But yeah. look what happened and, and and I've been successful and I love the fact that it was always what I wanted to do and you know, it wasn't like I woke up and, and it happened. It was just discipline and, you know, and being willing to just do what, what was best for me to be successful. And thankfully as well, I you, you tempted to go family. back. Well, you're still young though, aren't you? You're tempted to go back in at all at any point? What, to play? Yeah. Yeah, this is the thing. Like, I want to make sure that I, I do want to continue to play for at least another couple of years. Hmm. But I also want it to be the right opportunity because I've had a couple of situations, my last few situations that have not made me feel very good in myself when it comes okay. to like, you know, with the whole England situation and yeah. like when I played, um, when I played in Italy, it wasn't like bad. It just didn't make me feel good. Like, hopefully, mm. uh, yeah. in another country, like Juventus are fantastic. Like they signed me when I was injured and stuff like that. But the reason why I want to play for another year or two is because I want to be that kid that fell in love with the game at five yeah. years old. Now I still love football, eat, sleep, breathe it. Well, that comes through when you know. work as a pundit. Yeah, to be fair. But like, I just want to make sure that when I go into a situation, it has to be a situation where someone's not trying to like knock me down or be threatened by me and make me feel bad about myself. Cause that happens quite a lot to me mm. where coaches get threatened. Cause um, you're confident. 
yeah, but I'm also not a know-it-all. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And I'm the kind of person, because I coach the kids, like, I mentor the kids, and I am with them the way I would want someone to be with me. And yeah. I've had kids that have wanted to stop playing when they're, like, 11 years old because they've had, like, a coach not be, be very nice to them. And all of a sudden, I bring that life out of them. Not because I'm some, like, football, mm. so, like, football doctor, but I'm saying, like, I want every single kid that I have to feel like they're my favourite kid. Yeah. And you'll be surprised at what you can what you can get out of a kid. Do you know what I mean? And I love them. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, but I want them to believe they're the best. Mm. Because if you believe you're the best and you feel confident, like I had my best season in America, right? And someone said to me, what is it that Lisa Cole did? This was my coach at the time. I said, do you know what she did? She yeah. left me alone. She respected me. And I knew she respected me. She <laughs> yeah. didn't like um, give me like special treatment. She made me the captain halfway through the season. But do you know what she said to me? She went to me. Someone told me, this is what's interesting about people. She said, when I wanted you to come here, someone said to me, be careful of her. You know, she, she's a bit like controversial. Mm. And she, my coach said to me, I'm so glad I did listen to that person. Yeah. Because you are one of the best per- people I've ever coached. Best teammate. You know, ask any of my teammates. I love my teammates. But you're, you're a unique character, which people sometimes can't deal with, can they? We, we're, we're Man United fans. And it's probably a little bit before your time. But Eric Cantona, no one wanted to. I have Eric Cantona, but he's built almost the foundations of the modern Manchester United, hasn't he? What he of did course. in the Nazis. You yeah. know, Eric Cantona's the reason why I support Man United. Really? Yep. I didn't know. He's the reason. I went to watch Man United with my uncle. My dad's Arsenal. This is what the biggest thing we disagree on. <laughs> yeah, wow, that is Which big. is like the biggest thing. And we're like best friends. That's what's funny. Yeah. And um, obviously, I grew up playing for Arsenal, so he loved it. But And Vic used to try, Vic Akers used to try and change me all the time to be an Arsenal fan. And he just can't change. But yeah, Eric Cantona was the reason. I went to watch him up... Um, Play against Wimbledon up at Selhurst yeah. Park when they used to share the stadium and fell yeah. in love with Man United because of him and, and never looked back since. So, yeah, he's oh, amazing. <laughs> it's good they got a women's team as well, isn't it? But it was a bit belated, I guess. Would you like to play for them potentially? Would that work? Yeah, you know, I, I had conversations with them actually when they were in the process of doing it, not to play for them, but just to give them ideas of what, you know, um, mm. they can do um, in the background and stuff like that, being a Manchester United fan. But, you know, I think obviously it's better late than never, but I think a team like Manchester United has to have a women's team and yeah. it makes me happy that they do. And, you know, I'll, I'll see in the future, you know, you never know. I think for somebody like myself to be as fanatical about Man United as I am and to not have some kind of, role or do something with Manchester United would be a little bit strange but at the same time um, yeah. in the future you never know you know I, I personally um, predominantly like working more in men's football and mm. I think that's based upon how much hurt the women's game has actually caused me Ed you know what I mean really? like, when I say hurt I don't cry myself to sleep at night but I think it's easier for me to do the men's games because there's not someone on the team that I feel like yeah, pick up for me in any or bit, deta- not... bit detached from it. Yeah, yeah, there's not that feeling like I don't have any animosity or bitterness, but it actually hurts me quite a lot. So I find myself not really watching as much of women's football as I used to, yeah. just based upon you know, I still have friends, I still speak to all the girls, like 90% of the players, but it does hurt me quite a lot. So that's why I kind of prefer working in the men's game because I think my career went down a route that it didn't really need to, based upon me standing up for what's right. Yeah. And I think that's very difficult because it's not like I wasn't good enough, you know. Yeah. And people can have their opinions of whatever they want and they can say, oh, well, you only spoke out because you weren't getting picked. That's not the case. Because if you mm. go back and look at it, I was one of the most publicised players on the team. Whether yeah. people like me or not, that's no, the, artic- the articles point. are there, yeah. The like, that's there, the real yeah. point. You know, yeah. every time there was a photo shoot, every time there was an interview, I was always one of the main players. And then to just be completely ostracised out of nowhere... You know, but it is what it is. And, mm. you know, I don't, I don't, I sleep at night knowing that I did the right thing. I'm not perfect. But that's something that doesn't make me feel good. Like I said, it's not a bitterness or an anger. Yeah. I've seen the girls and I've seen people since then. And, and it is what it is. But, you know, people that know me will know how good I am as a footballer, mm. and, you know, and, and as a person. And I think, like, deep down, people know. You know, yeah, so, people people know, and you're a great analyst as well, and you dispel myths as well. I think there's been a perception that women pundits couldn't work on men's football, but actually, if you know the game and you can speak and you're infectious like you are and enthusiastic, which is key, that people rekindle. Because even in our line of work, you can sometimes forget that it becomes a job. And but this is why we were in it. It's why we wanted to be in sport. We love football. We love sport. We, you know, and that comes through with your analysis, but also the, the technical side of it as well. So I think that's you know, great. Do you know what it is as well, Ed? I always say, right, in school, for example, I was always really... I don't think I was ever taught how to revise for an exam because I was always really good at schoolwork, right? And homework. Yeah. I always did my homework and stuff like that. 
But when I got to re- exams, I always felt like I didn't really remember stuff, like store it. And mm. now I've realized as I've got older that people get, t- like they teach kids now how to revise, right? What yeah. works for you, um, whether there's flashcards, whatever it might be. Yeah. And I don't think I was ever taught that, but I think I've always, right? I always compare. Whenever I do football analysis or live TV, I absolutely love it. And I feel like I've been preparing for this test my whole life. Not that it's a test, mm. but I could tell you who played for Manchester United in the 1960s before I was even born. Yeah. If you ask me something about algebra or <laughs> things like that, I'm not going to remember, but it's not because I, I'm, I'm silly. It's relevant it's to you, yeah. Because yeah. it's because I, I, I really store this information. Like me and my dad say, like, we can remember players, what number they wear, all these things. And we're like, we wish we stored this kind of information at school. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. I love it. I absolutely love it. Like, I love watching football. I love watching the players and stuff like that. Mm. And, you know, it, it's great. So I feel like for me, I've been almost, this is like a dream for me to be able to yeah. talk about football on TV because it's something I've always wanted to, wasn't necessarily something I've always wanted to do, I'd say, but it's, it's, it's great, isn't it? I mean, yeah. you do it every day for a living and it's, it's great. It is great. It is great to talk about sport for a living. It's what we did as kids and it's, you know, it's the next best thing. I'd love to have been a footballer, but didn't quite have the, the skill and the, uh, the determination to do it in the end. But it's, it's the next best thing, I think. And it is, you have to, you have to be grateful every day for, for doing it, for sure. We're appreciative of it. And I feel very lucky. And it's inspiring to speak to people like you and, and kind of re- refresh that, you know, where you were when you started out and why you started out into the, the line of work as well. Hey, Leanne, I've kept you for nearly an hour, but I really appreciate your time. Before you go, are you... Um, are you optimistic that we'll, we'll, we'll kind of create a world where people are, are judged on their own merit rather than any silly things like sexuality or, or skin colour? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I am optimistic. And, I, and the reason why I feel optimistic is because I know the effort and the work that I'm putting in to make this world a better place when it comes to, you know, race, sexuality. Mm. And I think as well, like, you know, doing it with authenticity. I've been doing it for years, Ed, without any real uh, reward. And I'm not asking for a reward. You know what mm. I mean? Like when I came out as the first ever England player to come out in England. Wow, it wasn't I didn't know because that. I needed like brownie points. It's because I know the platform that we yeah. have that it can help people. And when the, when I receive the letters I receive from parents, kids, like aunts, uncles, grandparents saying like, you know, I, I didn't understand my granddaughter, but thanks to you, I understand her more or whatever it might be. Those are the powerful things that happen that people don't see. Yeah. So I do live in a world where I'm optimistic because I'm an optimistic person. And, you know, I'm going to continue to try to change people's perceptions of people. But at the same time, it has to come from, you know, I think we're stronger together. Mm. And I think if we just keep educating people and talking about things like this, then it can become instead of it just going away. You know, yeah. I really don't want that to happen where, you know, we just let things go away and then we're back to square one again. And I don't yeah. think this is going to go away. So I am optimistic and, and I hope that we can continue to live in a world where, you know, everybody is equal and that's my dream, really. Great. Well, mine too. I think, it, yeah, we want a fair world and I think we all want to succeed our own merits rather than any kind of sort of subconscious advantage. But Leanne, it's been wonderful to speak to you. Thank you so much. And I hope to see you at Sky Sports very soon. Yes, Ed. And likewise, thank you for having me and have a wonderful day. You too. Take it easy. Right, thank you very day. much. Bye, Bye Ed. Man. Wow, there we have it. Leanne Sanderson there. Fantastic. Really appreciate our candor and just openness about all those things, those issues that should clearly deep to her affected her throughout. And I think that's the point of these conversations we've had and I've shared on the, the podcast with MMA fighter, Michael Venom page, different people, Spencer fear on my old kind of mentor on the boxing podcast in terms of my boxing knowledge and man of Jamaican heritage. You can look back on that and he outlines what I referred to there, the, the history of even superficial thing that seems to divide people. That's another, I guess a big fulcrum for them and us at the moment, which is skin color. It talks about how, the adaptation of white skin because of the lack of sun in the Northern Hemisphere, how we have to get vitamin D from the sun, which is a big, again, part of the coronavirus situation at the moment and how superficial it is and how silly the concept of dividing people up based on that rather than their inherent qualities, their intelligence, their passion, their kindness, their generosity, enthusiasm, all those virtues which we really think are meaningful um, to get lost sometimes in this sort of them and us uh, slanging match or, or distinction walls are put up about superficial things like that sexuality and other ones so liam is really open they're great to speak to another manchester united fan and fascinating that she sees herself or, or, or had that hero of eric Cantona because that was someone that really stood out as a manchester united player in the 90s there's a sky sports icon feature on him actually you can watch on demand on sky just 
how influential he was at Manchester United and building that legacy, that dynasty that went from 1993 to 2013, uh, winning uh, so many titles, 13 titles, I believe, in, the, in that run, Premier League titles. Leanne herself, of course, and then went on to be a, a Premier League winner multiple times, five times with Arsenal and all the success she's achieved on a European Cup, Champions League, a UEFA Cup, I believe, Women's UEFA Cup, they called it at the time. But that's so interesting that, that she had that um, connection with Cantona or felt that connection with Cantona and how I thought of him when we were talking. That's, that, was, that was really eye-opening. Uh, but I hope you enjoyed that, guys. Let me know what you think. Follow Leanne all over social media as well. Great on Instagram, runs her program Saturday night. Really interesting range of characters on there. DJ Spoonie, Tim Cahill, the former Everton, Millwall, Australia footballer I know recently. So, And I think that open conversation forum, she's fantastic at that. Great communicator, bubbly, vivacious, and, and continue, continue to work with her at Sky Sports. And she's a great analyst too. Uh, so, yep, get in touch with her. Let me know what you think. Ed Draper 81 on Twitter, Ed underscore Draper 81 on Instagram. And uh, also, please rate the podcast on iTunes. It's still technically in its uh, infancy. Uh, simple setup on the side from my, my main job. But these conversations are a great platform to have just in this way. You call someone up and have a chat. And I think, as we were talking about at the start there, there is definitely a, an important place for it, particularly when discussing issues of of real importance, like people's opportunities and societies and equality and things like that. It's nice to just have that a little bit of time in the podcast format. Let me know what you think. That uh, would be great, great to hear from you. I'm, hopefully my daughter might listen to this one time. I'm going to show her pictures of Leanne that she sent me of playing for England to promote the podcast. So might inspire my little girl too. And uh, yeah, if you can rate the podcast on iTunes, it makes a difference. Thank you for the sponsors. Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV. Uh, specialist in home entertainment they're available on social media and remember if you are looking to optimize your immune systems i've been taking cytoplan supplements for best part of two decades but on my dad's encouragement and again it's anecdotal because i don't know what would have been without it but i certainly understand the theory of of uh, trace elements being relatively low in the uk particularly selenium zinc etc and how diets don't always marry up with what we need particularly as despite the fact we're getting fatter as a species we're also eating less calorically because we're so sedentary. So, you know, can we get all the things that we used to get when we're hunter-gatherers and eating thousands of calories a day? I'm not sure. So I take supplements with Cytoplan. And if you go to cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk, and you use the uh, code DRAPER10, you get 10% off. Anyway, I've been uh, rambling on. Hope you enjoyed it, guys. Have a good weekend. Still gloomy here, recording Thursday, but it looks like it's going to set for a, a good week ahead in the UK. And wherever you are, I hope you can enjoy it. I hope you're well financially and physically mentally and your health is good in the in the midst of this pandemic still thank you guys